Hey, everybody. It's Jean Nathan, and it is Crosstown Conversations. As we approach the um, Easter holidays uh, coming out of uh, Lent, I wonder how many of you are doing your <laughs> Lenten um, sacrifices. Can't say I've done very well on that score. <laughs> but um, we, of course, have an interesting show again, and um, we're going to be talking with the artist um, Jackie Bishop. And the reason I stumbled is because for Joe Butler in my newsletter, I said Joe, Joe Bishop, and I thought, he doesn't love that. <laughs> really. Anyway, um, Jackie Bishop is a really interesting artist, and she's going to talk about her talk that she is going to do on Sunday at her exhibition in the Crevasse 22 River House in St. Bernard. And um, it's going to be a really incredible talk because we had a little preview um, earlier this week and I learned a lot from that. And um, I think it's going to be truly interesting, not to mention a few refreshments and things like that. Patty Johnson is with us and she's going to be talking about St. Alphonsus. Uh, She's with Friends of St. Alphonsus. And this is one of the churches that at some point might not have stayed with us, might have gone away, but um, the community rallied to save it, and now it is just buzzing with activity. It's got all kinds of things going on, and um, they have a big event coming up this weekend, and it sounds like such a treat, so we're going to talk about that too. And Joe Butler, I'm sure, is going to get here, um, and he's going to be talking about the new art space for artists that is opening up on um right here in the neighborhood on Bell Street. So I uh, look forward to hearing about the plans there because that is going to be an important opportunity for many artists. It's going to be affordable work, live space for artists right in the heart of Treme. <clears throat> so let's go ahead and get started with um, Jackie Bishop. Um, the show that Jackie's in uh, is very deliberately organized around the beauty and the threats uh, to nature. Um, And it's at a site that is a very beautiful, bucolic kind of classic Louisiana bayou scene with, you know, big oak trees and hanging moss and the birds and the whole thing. Um, But it is the result of a um, crevasse that happened in the river in 1922 that basically drowned a good part of um, St. Bernard and left a kind of little um, lake inside of this bayou where there was just a bayou. It became kind of a a, a sort of a tear-shaped lake. And um, for a couple years now, we've been doing art, um, sculpture out on the uh, green section, sort of a sculpture garden. And, um, And in the house... Um, that is adjacent to it, which once was just a plain old house, and then suddenly, as we developed the sculpture garden, it became a, an art center. Um, we've been putting on some really interesting shows. The current show features um, Jackie, along with Tina Freeman and Allison Stewart, all of whom deal with nature in very, very different ways, starkly different ways. And so it makes for a very, very interesting show. 
and um, Jackie, all of them have been at it for quite a long time, but I think Jackie may have been dealing with the environment the longest of the three. I'm not sure. It's pretty close. But um, the key question that I loved exploring with them um, early on when we, I was trying to get a handle on how this was going to go is, is how they actually got started in focusing their work, their art, on nature. So, Jackie... Well, I, thanks, Jean. Thanks for having me, and also thanks for curating an interesting show, thought-provoking show with a couple of great artists that I might not have been able to show with um, for a theme like this. Um, I guess I can say that I've been um, focused on these issues uh, unknowingly my whole life, but... Mm. Um, I guess probably in graduate school at Tulane in the early 80s when I was collecting crustaceans and dead animals and things, small things, from the beaches on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi and applying them to the canvas and painting landscapes um, void of humans, um, as I still do, um, large scale and small scale, and uh, not really knowing what I was doing even then in graduate school. Um, I probably I did not know how to articulate exactly what I was feeling. And uh, the work was probably more intuitive. And um, after graduation, it started to become more pronounced in the work. And uh, uh, doing more research and through literature and reading more um, scientific uh, literature, and then becoming very interested in birds. And probably that's kind of what instigated the beginning of a lot of the work and which ended up taking me to Brazil and Peru and Venezuela and Southeast Asia to study the birds and to study the birds at LSU and the uh, bird um, collection, one of the most well-organized collections of birds in the world, uh, almost one of them, at LSU in the ornithology department. Absolutely stunning, where I got to hold the very last uh, Carolina parakeet from 1899 that was collected. And, of course, they flew all over the panhandle in Louisiana. And then I got to hold the uh, um, ivory-billed woodpecker that became extinct in 1942. So... I painted birds in the paintings um, in a grid-like system. Um, I uh, and I called it system of nature uh, for the exhibition, and started painting these uh, small three-inch by three-inch bird portraits on pieces of wood. And I collected garbage from the streets, and especially after Mardi Gras, and I would frame each little bird portrait with uh, these this um, this debris and worked on it for 18 years where it became 60 feet long and traveled the country in Canada. And it was called Terra, um, Terra for land Land. and landscape. Mm -hmm. But it was interesting because (coughs) I found out that um, the very first bird list was uh, created by the Swedish biologist uh, Linnaeus, and it was titled System of Nature. And where and that's where I was inspired and took that, and uh, so I worked on that. 
But I guess you could say that the birds ended up taking me to Brazil and seeing the birds in Brazil that I would see in Louisiana coming through in April for spring migration, which is now, and these most beautiful birds, the migrants, of course, coming through Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, and uh, passing through and then going back. And it's just beautiful. Um, so I, I really um, I, I want to f- focus on two things for just a minute because that migration, since we're right in the middle of it, it's that, that brings this whole conversation home in a way that um, so many of them light here for moments I guess I don't know how. It's an interesting question, actually. How long do they usually stay here? And then the other question I want to explore is why are you so passionate about birds? I, I mean, you know, I live in a spot where um, we have a little, uh, probably an unusually large number of birds because I've got a lot of trees around and goodies for birds to eat and play with on my on my in my garden, but. Um, yeah, how, why is this so important to you? And uh, tell us about what happens when the birds in migration land here. Okay, well, let me back up first to the bird symbolism. Back in the early 80s when I was working on these, um, birds were a symbol for me, for the soul of the human. And because birds are different species um, and some would not interact with each other, I was painting so many birds, and I found out that most of the birds that I was attracted to were from South Africa, South America, Central America, where there was, you know, land filled with turmoil, landscapes filled with turmoil, political turmoil. And I related the birds to these areas, and um, that's when I realized that this wasn't just about the birds. Uh, when you have uh, South Africa, it was during apartheid, and we all know what apartheid means. And so I was combining all these different bird species that normally would not associate with each other, and I created my own landscapes with all different uh, species of birds from other countries and uh, that uh, represented the political landscape that I was creating for myself. <laughs> and um, and then the other thing was with uh, environmental concerns, because I was documenting the forest fires in the Brazilian Amazon for so many years um, and watching the birds come back to Cameron Parish in Louisiana where the water hole is and we would wait for them to come and they would drop out of the sky because that's a long flight and they lost so much weight and in many cases it was difficult to identify the species. So when they go back, I mean they're, they're here in New Orleans for, it depends on the species, some will be for a couple days, some will be for a couple weeks, I mean you will see them and then they'll move on. They just want to feed, get water, get fat again and move on to get their energy back to migrate. But when they do go back to Brazil and that rainforest has been gone, uh, has been destroyed and is gone, that's the beginning of the extinction process. So that's interesting to me um, on another level. So in the oak trees on Esplanade, outside my house, for some reason, for the past several years, it started a few years ago, and I don't remember exactly when. I think it was after Katrina. 
Um, night herons. Uh, there's another word uh, in there somewhere. Night something herons um, have chosen this as their as their breeding grounds. They come here and breed. And um, I've been struck by the fact that they come back to exactly the same trees right smack in front of my house. And I think, wow, that is their home, their place. And what would they do if those trees weren't there? And so when you say that they go back now, the Amazon forest is still huge, but if the area that they go back to thinking they're going home, kind of not unlike people trying to come home after Katrina. Exactly. And no home there. And I went through that, and, and Joe Butler has joined us, and Joe and I worked together on the planning after Katrina, and I will never forget the sessions in the hotel right after the storm when um, people were trying to roll out their sort of their solutions to how we go forward, blah, blah, blah. And there were people in there saying, are you kidding me? My home is gone. You know, my home is gone. And it was just so emotional and so devastating. And I, and I, I didn't lose my home, but I might as well have because when – Every other person you talk to has lost your home, their home. It, you, you just, you, it's so um, overwhelming. So I don't know how you've gotten through 18 years of or so dealing with birds not being able to come home and also basically going extinct, which is another thing that we could almost say about a lot of the culture of New Orleans it's it's to some extent its extinction is threatened absolutely no it it's uh there's a parallel and it is the symbolism and because i am a new orleanian and experienced katrina and um but i mean it goes way beyond that too i mean you know there's just so many uh similarities between the natural world and the human world and if maybe humans were a little more open and listening to the natural world, there would be a lot more to understand and learn, and, uh, like the indigenous did. The indigenous? Indigenous peoples. You know, that's where they learned so much was from the, na- the uh, non-human world because they lived with it. They mm-hmm. were it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the one of the paintings that is in the show um, in St. Bernard, and it's it's at a place called Crevasse 22 River House. And do you have the address handy? Because I can never remember the address. Of course, I think I've forgotten my glasses. I hope I can read it. Um, yeah, 8122 Sarrow Lane in Poydras, Louisiana, if you're the GPS type, 81. 22. It starts at the talks start at one and go on till about three, along with, as I said, some really nice refreshments. And because it's Palm Sunday, by the way, we chose to make palm branches available, not just reflecting the Christian holiday and symbolism of palm leaves, but digging all the way back to 
um, the tradition of, of palm leaves, palm uh, branches, and how they were used as uh, a symbol of victory after a war in some cases, but in other cases, or conquests in some cases, but also um, a celebration of victory of good over bad. So I, I'm, we're giving away the palm, palm branches this Sunday as a symbol of the victory we hope for on behalf of nature, despite some of the terrible things that are happening right now at the national level, which, you know, sometimes it just, it's, it's like, you know, remember, Joe, when everybody was calling about the green dots and I always say that the the green dots were a slight, they were a misinterpretation of what was really in the plan about greening the city. It was really about greening the city. But it was perceived through the racial screen that we always perceive things through in New Orleans. But um, ultimately, the green dot was an impetus for people. It, it, It drove them to... Uh, be m- even more determined than ever to come home and to rebuild their communities. So you you would heap, you know, people would just say, like um, Roberta Gratz's book, you know, they, we're coming home. Yeah, blank. <laughs> I can't <laughs> use the word on the air, I think. But um, so, yeah, I think that um, I really am getting what you're getting at with the with birds as a symbol, you called it the soul of symbol of the human soul is how I started in the early eighties and it has just evolved. So, um, one of the pieces that you did, uh, was this big mural that has hundreds and hundreds. It's gotta be, we never did count them, but they have to be a thousand birds on that canvas. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this is a huge mural that uh, Jackie made at a, um, the art house on the levee during Prospect Three. Um, one of Tannen's crazy ideas about instead of showing his own work, which I would like to strangle him for, um, he was showing the work of uh, everybody else, and he put up these canvases and let everybody come and paint. And Jackie came with a with another person and just painted the sky and the birds all over this huge mural. And it's such a stunning, dramatic piece. And um, so that that was kind of the, the beginning of, of uh, the impetus for the show. That includes the other artists, uh, Freeman and Allison Stewart. And Allison's work is a much more ethereal, romantic, lyrical, colorful, impressionistic view of nature. And Tina has is has gone out and and taken images of the sewage treatment plant in Saint Bernard that um, has been designed ultimately to help clean the sewage in the water and make it available to help start restoring the um, the uh, swamps. But you know, I, I saw a, a terrible story in the paper. Was that today that it talked about um, it? I, that it may be that we might have to do something as dramatic as, I don't know, um, shoot things into the clouds to reflect the sun away from the earth, that we're beyond the point that we can actually just recover through, you know, solar power and wind turbines and so on. 
did you see the story? Did anybody no. see it? Oh, I think it was on the front page of the either the New York Times or the Times Picayune today. It's kind of scary that it's going to take extreme measures at this point to um, save the earth. But um, well, so interestingly, I think the earth's going to be fine. It's more about saving ourselves on the earth. It will carry on without us. <laughs> but what are we going to do to save our our people, our cultures, our way of life, our birds, our water? I don't worry so much about the earth, but I am worried about about us making it in, inhospitable for people and uh, and others who uh, other forms of life that depend on it. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But no, that's fine. I, I, I'm ready to um, open the, the conversation up. Um, I, I, um, let, I I'm not sure which way to, to segue at this point because we I, I do have to try to keep to my clock a little bit. But we have with us. I'm going to have to go to I think Patty Johnson who. Um, is here for St. Aloysius, Friends of St. Aloysius. Did I say Al- Aloysius? I'm sorry. I don't even know where Aloysius. Where is there an Aloysius church in New Orleans? Where was St. Aloysius? What Actually, am I thinking it's near of? near here on Broad, I think. It's here in New Orleans. Maybe I'm bad. So, so this is my continuing years. name problem, and, and Joe is familiar with it because I admitted to the show earlier that I, Alphonsus, that I... Um, Mix you and Jackie up a little bit. Stay, yeah, hang in, hang in. Yeah. So, um, Patty, this is I, you know, this is another um, saving that is required to to save these beautiful churches that we have in New Orleans. Um, too many of which we don't really fill anymore because we just have had a population loss. So. Um, it takes a it takes a community that really cares about a particular church t- to save it and, and keep it from going extinct, so to speak. And um, and and Saint Alphonsus is now the home for so many cultural activities. I was floored by it, the architecture, the images, the stained glass windows, but also the archives on on the Irish Channel that you have in it. So how how did all this come about? And and then tell me about your gala that is going to help support it. All right. Well, I thank you also, Jean, for having me as a guest and the opportunity to meet other artists. And it sounds like we're all working toward the same thing, you know, to preserve and, you know, save. So um, I was involved in um, St. Alphonse's, Probably about 20 years ago was when I got involved, and that was because I was doing uh, the newsletter for St. Alphonsus, and it just kind of kicked off um, and got started. And St. Alphonsus, the Friends of St. Alphonsus, is, is a nonprofit organization, and um, Blanche Kamiski and Susan Levy, who two women of the community, um, Susan's passed now, but um, they had gone on a stained glass tour, and when they got to St. Alphonsus. It had been actually closed in 79, and I guess this was probably like in 89. So, oh, so it was closed even before Katrina. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. and um, it was in despair, And but they still had these just beautiful, beautiful stained glass windows um, by a settler of Germany who had hand-cut these stained glass windows. And for the church. And when they got inside, they saw it was in disarray. And, you know, um, probably homeless people um, were living in there at shelter and stuff like that. And though that was the case, they still had these, you know, it's kind of a um, juxtaposition, I guess, you know, with what was all around, those beautiful stained glass windows. So as they were going on the tour, one of the ladies had looked up, and these 
beautiful ceiling frescoes. Um, one of them, there was a hole coming through the the skylight was oh, coming God. through, and mm. they said, "Oh, well, this is such a beautiful church, but you know, how long is it going to last?" And so, Susan Levy and Blanche Comiskey, they got together and decided they were going to save this, you know, structure and this artwork. So, they went to the archdiocese and proposed um, this organization to get off the ground, and they would start a club to, you know, ter- uh, caretake that structure and that artwork. So that started. It's such an ambitious undertaking when you think about it. It is. Churches are very ambitious undertakings to begin with. And there was so much to do and still yet to be done. Um, But they did it. They persevered. They got the okay. They formed this organization. And now it's it's in its 26th year. And we have made strides. Um, All of us volunteers, and that's what we are, are caretakers. One, um, my passion is I love architecture and I love art. I'm an artist, and I just, to me, you need to preserve it. And I lost everything in Katrina, and so to me, even more so, my passion just elevated immensely because there were so many things that were lost from the flood and or torn down, and I just, you know, this is just one thing. There's so many things that I know I probably would challenge to, you know, try and save, but... St. Alphonsus has some beautiful artwork inside. The architecture is just monumental. And the frescoes are just priceless. And we didn't realize what we had in the ceiling until an archivist and a conservator um, came in and recognized the frescoes because she does a lot of conserving of basilicas and small churches in Italy. So she immediately recognized that it was Dominic Canova and artwork and so is Dominic Canova um, from Italy yes he is mm-hmm. and he came here um, in the 1800s um, and between 1838 and 1868 is when he did his work here in the city and a lot of his work I think it was 20 pieces um, total that he did and wow. they were you know the St. Louis Hotel the Opera House um, the, wow. yeah, the, wow. the, a lot of places that he did his work in private homes too, in churches. Out of that 20 frescoes, only nine still exist. The rest have been demolished or, you know, they're gone. So we know how precious it is to save these. And that's really, uh, you know, we're trying so hard. Every year we give a gala, we do a gala, and we try very hard to raise money and get the word out. One, this is a gem, a hidden gem in the Irish Channel. It's the original Irish church um, in the city. St. Patrick's came later. Um, uh, St. Alphonsus was consecrated in 1855. And I learned as the process goes that there are so many churches in this little classical square that was the German church, St. Mary's across the street, and that was St. Alphonsus, and then two blocks down in Jackson was um, Bon Secours, which was the French church. Mm-hmm. And then a few blocks over on 2nd Street was a little African church. So that, they were, but it was so crazy that everything was so, not just segregated by color of skin, but it was also by religion. And i tell you, the history I've learned um, over these years working with this church and to know that 
they actually had people, you know, with guns and, you know, were ready to, you know, if anybody crossed another ethnicity to cross over into their church, they were, like, ready to <laughs> battle it. It was crazy. Over oh, going to church, we were going to be violent over yeah. whether you could go to yeah, church yeah, or not. Yeah, it's so, it's so crazy. But anyway, thank God um, that's, you know, no longer. But um, And everyone can go anywhere. And anyone in any place anytime definitely come to St. Alphonsus and see the beauty for themselves. So is it open to the public on a regular basis? It's open on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays from 10 to 2. And if you want a private tour, you can definitely call and do a private tour. Mm -hmm. And we do. We have a lot of tours that come through. We have um, school that do uh, uh, outing for the students. Um, In fact, around Christmas time, we have a crush exhibit every year. And we've built that up from just a few. People, you know, have their own crushes at home to put under their tree. But prior, a week before, um, a week after Thanksgiving, the first week of December, we'll have a crush exhibit. And we now, um, like this past December, we had over 100 crushes that were on loan to us. And they're from all over the world. Some beautiful artwork right there, you know, within this art museum and art um, structure and that's just one of the things that we do every year we also have in march beginning of march our roots exhibit um, um, conference and it's whether it's talked about genealogy or something in the neighborhood um, maybe it's about saint alphonsus itself on one year we did a um, study on well it wasn't that someone from tulane did a study on the yellow fever epidemic and why there were so many orphanages built within a classical square. Ooh, and they were called that. for, yeah. And there's so much history and so many topics that I mean, I could go on, but um, it's just quite an amazing um, place. And so I, I understand that you also have um, a history of the Irish Channel in general? Archives? We do. Yeah, we do. Um, okay. The little museum in the church, um, there's two rooms, and it's definitely of the history of the Irish, the German, and the French, and the African that came in and settled in that area. And that was kind of like the first crossover from, say, the other side of the canal, that Creole started to come in, and more and more Irish started to um, come in just because their family settled there and they survived. And so they got word to their families um, across the pond to, you know, this is a good place and you definitely can make a living. And, and a, a lot of the Italians had um, started vegetable um, stands and, and public markets over in the French Quarter. And then they started to, but it was kind of a, you know, at some point there a lot of Creoles and pe- people of color and even Italians, they weren't coming over that other side of Canal Street. It was like forbidden. And there was only a few Creoles that maybe lived on the other side of um, Canal Street. And they were probably working for, you know, people of, you know, wealth that, you know, they were working for. And eventually it kind of got relaxed. See, I said, that's so funny. It's interesting. You, you, always, you have these little uh, theories and, and legends that you live with. So the legend I've always lived with about uptown and downtown was that the, the French were so resistant to the English when the English came here after the Louisiana Purchase, and then, of course, when we became a, a U.S. state, um, they were shunned. They were they were rejected, and then they moved uptown mm-hmm. to the Garden District because they weren't accepted downtown. That's the legend I've lived. And with. that it's I'm sure that's true too, because it, and that's what's so amazing to me is that I didn't realize how much 
whether you're English or you're Irish or you're African or you're Creole, but it was just like so many diverse um, thoughts on who would be accepted and who would not and the area of town that you would be allowed in or you'd be shunned. And that, it's a sad thing, but it's definitely history, and hopefully that um, we'll never go back to that, and hopefully we'll keep on progressing um, and well, accept everyone. And interestingly, um, actually, you know, one of the stark facts about the area of the city that was hit the hardest and the worst, the Lower Ninth Ward, um, was really developed, and you correct me if I'm wrong about this, Joe, but my, again, my understanding, my legend is that after the war, when a lot of people had GI Bill money and they could buy homes, blacks still could not, were not allowed to buy homes in the Lakeview, Lakeside area, which was the growing suburb at that time, right. and Gentilly for that matter. And they moved, they went to, to the Lower Ninth Ward, which was below sea level and dangerous. And I, I don't know to what extent people were focusing on. I think generally people in New Orleans don't choose their homes according to sea level. No. We did. We, we, my husband and I did because he... Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. they do now. But we did at the time that we came here, which was in 1975, mm -hmm. because Tannen had worked on the redevelopment of the coast of Mississippi after Camille, and he was extremely sea level conscious. So when I said I liked Treme and Esplanade because of, you know, being close to everything, the park and the river and the French Quarter and the racetrack and the whole, you know, it was just my part of town, right, the museum, city park. But he checked out the sea level and I said, okay, we're, we're, we're on a mountain. We're four feet up. <laughs> I wish I would but, have known that, but, yeah. Um, some, I think, like, where, where did you live? Where did you lose your home? In Lakeview. In Lakeview. Yeah, we were on West End, and um, it, we had 10 feet And that was, the, that was the other irony, as mm -hmm. is the neighborhood that people were kept out of got just as swamped as the neighborhood yeah. that they wound up in. Yeah, Mother Nature didn't. She just came wherever she wanted. Let me, um, let me get in your gala before I um, start talking with... Um, Joe, as I uh, make sure that we get in his story too. So, um, this is, this event looks fabulous. It's this Saturday night. You know, give me a little bit on it. Uh, yes, it's uh, annual art in April 2017. It's an art auction and gala, and it's going to benefit the restoration of St. Alphonsus in the Irish Channel. Um, there's a live and solid auction, and we have um, we try to get as many local artists as possible to donate um, to this, um, and we do have. Um, a raffle that's going to be uh, raffling off a blue dog. Um, it's called Three Amigos. It's um, lovely um, silk screen, and it's from the foundation. And let me say this: the foundation has um, about seven um, silk screens that they offer nonprofit organizations for auctions and raffles. You can't purchase those particular um, silk screens in the galleries. It's not for public um, purchase. So um, we do have this uh, raffle, and um, at this event. And we only ran 200 um, raffle tickets, so it's a short run. So your odds of winning could be really up there. Um, the tickets are only $25 for that raffle ticket. The event, um, it's another great deal. Um, tickets in advance is $40 per person, 75 per couple. That is really and look, not bad. No, because There are a galas, lot more expensive benefits in town than that. Yeah, galas, I know other galas, tickets could be 125 you know, just for one and person. more. Well, we have the um, silent and live auction, um, food from local um, restaurants, 
And we have a harpist, Ivory McCain. She played last year lovely um, sound, and it's beautiful sound in that um, old church. And, and, and Canova Cocktails? Canova Cocktail. Canova. And um, obviously named after Dominic Canova, the fresco mm-hmm. artist. Um, yeah, it's one of the board members, the past president. He has this um, unbelievably delicious Canova Cocktail. And the ingredients are secret, so I can't tell you too much. But you just have to come and try more than one. You definitely want more than one. But the event is Saturday, April 8th from 7 to 10 at St. Alphonse's, 2025 Constant Street. And um, we'd love everyone to come and enjoy it. And the weather's going to be perfect. So. I know the weather's going to be great this yeah. weekend. Jackie, you know, you can aspire to this. So someday as an artist, maybe you'll have a cocktail named after you. <laughs> <laughs> cocktail, famous bishop cocktails. <laughs> Patty, it sounds absolutely great. I'm so glad um, that you came in. I, I was floored when I started reading about the church and how much was going on there, the different kinds of activities. You guys have really, you know, it, it's not just, um, it, you know, in stock. It's it's there for people to really enjoy. So, And uh, honestly, if you want, people do come in when we're open that, and they can come in. It's so um, peaceful. They just want a moment to reflect and, you know, pray and you know, meditate, whatever, you can do that. And while there's not an event going on on those times of operation, we do have um, just some beautiful music, you know, um, that's filling up the church on, you know, a CD or something. And it's just beautiful. And So you can just have a, mo- a little bit of a moment, moment of peace and, and uh, rest. And right. And we had a, um, a concert. We had meditation, too. which and I haven't figured out how to do yet. Me either. But um, <laughs> we had a concert last night. We had Fun Under the Frescoes concert. Just want to throw that Fun in. Fun Under the Frescoes. And we had a concert last night with a beautiful um, Christina Morales, um, soulful and just beautiful jazz voice that just, I mean, would take your breath away. But So there's a lot going on, and we hope to keep on. We need a lot of work done. We need envelopes sealed and, you know. Uh-oh, you're looking for volunteers, too. And okay, well, let, let me just uh, <laughs> um, close off with your website. And it's a really um, basically easy one, Friends of St. Alphonsus, just dot org. Okay. You know, it, interestingly, uh, we we certainly have kind of focused on a theme uh, today of um, preserving life, of um, avoiding extinction, hmm. um, of being mindful of our our earth, and and um, you know, I, I think not just people and species are threatened, but the very planet itself really is at risk. Um, but we keep. Uh, you know, really going after revivals in in various ways. And another revival taking place in the city right in the heart of Treme is um, making sure that the Bell School, which was always such a gorgeous property also, um, right on Ursuline Street, just... um, is it what's what's it between? It's between Galvez and Johnson, the 2100 block of Ursuline. Yeah, I wanted to say Galvez. And um, so... An organization called Art Space nationally hooked up with local boy, um, homeboy Joe Butler, uh, who has been uh, working with them to um, bring that property back in a very special and important way that I resonates with me big time because it's going to help um, the artists in our community and therefore our whole creative community. So take it away, Joe. 
Uh, thank you very much for having me. Um, you know, first, thanks to you and Cano and, and your work in terms of always sort of shining a light on creativity and making spaces work. You've, you've been a huge partner in that from the time that you got here. And so thank you. It's, it's nice to be here to have this conversation with you. Also, you've been supporting us and working with us for the past eight years as we've tried to push this boulder over the hill. Um, and so for that, we are also um, a grateful. A pittance, a pittance. Uh, the, with the amount of work I'm sure it has taken to raise the money. I know that had to be the big boulder well, this to is get a, this done. It's a $35 million project, which will restore all five of the buildings over the two-block former um, Andrew J. Bell campus. It will um, contain 79 units of affordable housing uh, for families and artists, also community space, presentation space, um, and arts and music education space. It is a direct result of being deeply, deeply interested in, in understanding the challenges that the New, Orle- New, New Orleans presents um, to our traditional culture bearers and artists, uh, the question of affordability. Um, and uh, as our wonderful neighborhoods start to regenerate, um, it's important that we are very mindful of the fact that some of the most wonderful features of our city um, get to us by virtue of people who are often on the lower end of, of the economic scale. Um, and if, if we believe here that art starts in the street, well, then it's, it's because they were, there were homes on that street that artists could live in and come out of and walk to the street to do their thing. So this for us is, um, is, a, is a wonderful opportunity. We are deeply honored to be the, the sort of next stewards, if you will, of the Bell property. Um, and we, we love its tremendous history and, and look forward to making sure that, that uh, for, for many, many years to come, there will be affordable spaces for artists, culture bearers, and community uh, at the Bell School. So I want to get into the, um, the, the spaces in, in just a second, but I want to go back. We've been sort of building these little histories here. Uh, so what was the history of the Bell School? When, uh, how did that start? And uh, tell me who Bell was. Sure. Um, interestingly, the Bell School has had set, went through several iterations to get there. Um, originally, it was a St. Joseph's Academy, opened in about 1916. It was a girls' school. Um, interesting, it was three schools in one. It was a, it was a white uh, school for white girls, a school for African-American girls, um, and a school for colored girls, all in the same building. Wait, you're saying that within this one school, in this one location, like the churches, you had three separate... That's absolutely correct. Three separate schools. And we wonder why we're having difficulties still. Um, And interestingly, the building um, was was designed by Allison Owen, a tremendous um, architect here. And in in fact, most of us recognize his work from the Sacred Heart Building on St. Charles. So it has that same kind of American Gothic appeal, hints of a Talanon. It's a really beautiful, beautiful building. Um, And uh, in the mid-60s, it was purchased by, sorry, the early 60s, it was purchased by the Orleans Parish School Board and combined with the school on the second block, which has at the time been Franklin Elementary, and formed into Andrew J. Bell Middle School. And as many of you know, um, one of the ways New Orleans reacted to uh, Brown versus Board and desegregation was to quickly build schools in in every neighborhood, to dissuade folks from one neighborhood, leaving that neighborhood to go to another school. So uh, Andrew Bell was an example of a quickly cobbled together school. They bought St. Joseph's Academy. The school board already owned Ben Franklin Elementary, which was a white elementary school. They put the two together, and it became a middle school for uh, kids from Treme and uh, and at the time the Lafitte Housing Development. Hmm. 
So that's that's sort of how we got that's here. That's interesting. I didn't. Uh, I wasn't aware of that process at all. So I think part of the part of the appeal and the um, and the importance of the building for the neighborhood in that built environment is that it's always represented um, a creation of sort of of something in their neighborhood, um, and it was sustained even though it was not necessarily the best case scenario in terms of how you develop a school and how you develop a, a school community. But it became really famous for its music education um, and for its band. And there was a, a, a noted teacher and band leader, uh, Mr. Donald Richardson, who was there for over 30 years, who formed both um, a marching band and a concert band. That band has that band and him, his leadership as an educator, has created a, a ton of New Orleans musicians and a ton of people with very famous names and who have gone on to do great work, both as musicians but also as, as educators and citizens. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I've, uh, you know, who could not have heard of the Bell, uh, Andrew J., it's Andrew J., right, yep, Bell J. Mm -hmm. Band. Um, so, you know, in parades, you, you looked for it, and you and when it came, you recognized it, and, and even before you saw it, um, but tell me about um, some of the musicians that came out of that. Sure. Um, some of the folks that we, we know now and honor a bunch are um, Kirk Joseph, one of the founders of Dirty Dozen. Um, uh, Gregory Porter was also there. Uh, Lance Ellis, who's played with a ton of people. Uh, Derek Tabb from um, Rebirth and now uh, Roots. Roots of Music. Mm -hmm. uh, the list just keeps going on and on and on. Um, and those are some of the examples who we may be most familiar with. Uh, but... I've, in research, we've discovered about 35 recognizable musicians. Wow. Um, and yeah. so that's not to speak of the, of the folks who have been less famous, but still no doubt very talented. Mm -hmm. And the thing about that is that, you know, um, music for, for, I think, Mr. Richardson and for the community wasn't just about the sound and the joy of hearing it, but it was, it, it was a means and an instrument to learning and teaching life lessons. Is he still alive? Or uh, unfortunately, he passed away passed? before the storm. Uh, oh, okay. But uh, but he is he is held in great regard and and we certainly as we continue our process will recognize the contribution he made to the Treme and the larger community. Right. And interestingly, you asked me about Andrew J. Bell. Andrew J. Bell was um, was born to as chattel property to a family in Kentucky. Um, his parents were owned by that family, and uh, he was born just after uh, organized slavery ended. Uh, he had for some reason, a musical ability or gift, um, and eventually made it to the Chicago Conservatory and was trained in classical music um, in the late 1800s and turn of the, cent turn of the century. He became uh, a New Orleans educator because he, he met a woman from New Orleans and ended up down here. Um, and so, hence the school was named after um, his contributions to uh, developing music education in New Orleans. So the tradition is deep and it's, it's long. It's really a very powerful um, story that uh, you're going to continue. So do you feel like, all right, you have 79 spaces um, and you're getting close to actually being able to begin leasing the spaces, or wh where are you on the timeline? Uh, well, we will accept pre-applications on Monday, April 17th. Um, we'll have a public meeting scheduled um, for April 15th at the Sojourner Truce uh, Neighborhood Center. That's at 2100, I'm sorry, 2200 Lafitte Street. So, so folks, that's that's that um, contemporary structure. Um, right between the park and 
what used to be called Lafitte. I don't know what it's called yeah, now. Yeah, Faubourg Lafitte. It's sort of Faubourg it's, Lafitte. It's, it's basically off of Orleans and Galvez yeah. on Lafitte Street. Um, right next to the green space, right on the uh, right behind um, Lehman Park. Uh, so it's 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 easy yeah. to find. It's so basically you go from Galvez off Esplanade and you're gonna you're right, gonna you're see gonna, it. Right it's right very convenient. Yeah. yeah. Um, our our information is and available. And that's on, on the fifteenth well. at what time? That's at one p.m. And what are you gonna? Uh, what's gonna be the focus of that? The focus to uh, explain a little bit about the project, speak to the process for uh, qualification, um, both. Um, uh, income qual- qualification in the process to qualify um, as an artist um, who uh, we will be able to have preference for. Uh, so it's it's a really interesting it's a really interesting and, and great place to be. And I just want to make it really clear that that we consider culture bearers um, and Mardi Gras Indians and culinary artists in the exact artists. same uh, regard and esteem that that we consider fine artists and sculptors, et cetera. So this is really about culture that. bearers. So, uh, it, it's really your definition of artist is the broadest it can be, as as broad as possible. Yeah. And and the apartments that um, uh, you you're building, they're going to be available for. Individuals and families. I mean, it's, some of them are large enough for a family. Absolutely. We have studio units, one bedrooms and two bedrooms. And we're fortunate enough to have 40 projects in operation across the country from California to Florida to New York. And one of the things that make the buildings incredibly vibrant is having children. Uh, they're reflective of, of who we are and what we do, and mm-hmm. we'd be lost without them, obviously. Mm-hmm. So we encourage families and individuals mm-hmm. of, of every age and every discipline and every um, every sort of hue of our beautiful city to, to apply and, and come down and be a part of keeping this little portion of the Treme affordable for, for culture bearers. So how does this work now? The 15th is the meeting to kind of talk about the program. The 17th, people can actually start literally applying. We will accept applications from April 17th through April 28th, um, and I will That's be available. Not a big window, so I will be available now and until we're done to speak to any groups or individuals who want more information. You can find my contacts on our website. Also, very easy: artspace a r t s p a c e dot org slash bell for the Bell School. Um, and uh, I've been really pleased to be able to work with many of our culture bearers and, and artists. And anyone who knows me, reach out. Um, and what, what we want to do is continue to put the word out there. We'll have 23 units open uh, for residents starting uh, roughly first week of July, second week of July. Wow. And the balance, uh, 56 additional, will be available at the very end of December. So we're just really starting to get ahead um, of the process so that we can, we can make sure folks know about it and, and we have a lot of local participation. I just can't believe how exciting it is going to be for the artists and families who are going to be living in there and the interaction between them, the community that they're going to create, and the relationship between them and the neighborhood around them. Because, you know, that neighborhood has been through a lot, and it is still there, and it is coming back in many ways. And I think both people who... Um, had once lived in Treme, moved out east, and then got hit out east, have come back to some extent, as well as all the newbies they're coming into. We yeah. see them. But um, to have this, I gotta, it's going to be an incredible anchor for the character of the neighborhood. 
We certainly hope so, and I think the point you just made was the most important of all, is that is that this is not an enclave for artists, but it is a, a community center point. It's a hub. It's a cornerstone that's about culture and art and neighborhood preservation and dialogue. Tremay is probably the oldest integrated multiracial community in the world. Well, in, and I'm sorry, in our country, this world. Uh, and so it's important that, that, we, that we revel in that, celebrate it, but protect it and make sure that it has the physical environment and the inclusive economic reality so that it can remain that way. It's a jewel for us. We should all be proud of that community. Before Katrina, Campanella said that there were more people living in Treme whose roots went back to the beginning than any other neighborhood whose names were the old original names. But there is also the new folks who are coming in, and now this artist community. 79 units, y'all, and this is open to everybody. So don't think that this is just for some special elite little group of artists. You can be a resident and live and work. It's workspace, too. It's, It's meant to be both studio and residential. Absolutely. I mean, especially here, we have Indians who sew in their homes. Art is not pushed away to a special place to do it. We do it everywhere we are. So it, it absolutely, for our whole community, absolutely want to include and invite culture bearers. But quickly thank um, Ashe for their partnership. Um, they've been another organization that's really helped us. So come out uh, and get more information April 15th, 1 p.m. at the Sojourner Truth Center. Y'all, that wraps us up. I, I just, I think this is all so exciting. I mean, I love everything we've been talking about. I don't know. I'm just, I'm a fool for the culture of the city, and, and everybody um, in the studio today has done their share. Along with Jazz, our engineer, he's doing his share, too, and he's bring, bringing me the my theme song done by the Rebirth folks, and I hope they're happy with us using it. This is Gene Nathan. It's Cross Sound Conversations for this week. Talk to you next week, too. Bye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.